Hello everybody and welcome to Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt and I'm a game master who can't stop talking about role-playing games. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about immersion and trying to get yourself immersed at your table. I'm joined by the wonderful Keith and Jest from Underground Oracle Publishing, and it's a really, really awesome conversation. In fact, Keith, Jess, and I spoke for probably two and a half hours about immersion, you know, on and off the recording. So it, it was a really, really awesome discussion, and I had a really hard time paring it down to fit an hour. I strongly debated splitting it into kind of having, you know, two episodes, kind of like I do part one, part two. But I feel like I just did that recently for, for the previous episode with Seth. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want that to become normal. So I, I really sat down and I trimmed off some of the things that I think we've talked about in previous episodes before. But I, I did want to still make sure that everybody listening kind of has these caveats because some of the things are very important. I just I just trimmed them out because I've mentioned them in previous episodes or other guests have mentioned them in previous episodes. So, you know, one of the big caveats that I want to put here is something that... I've said once, I've said before, and I'm going to continue to say is that everybody can play the game that they want to play and they can seek the fun that they want to seek. But in this episode, Keith, Jess, and I talk about immersion kind of from a role play perspective, you know, really getting into character, really putting on the skin of your character. And, you know, we say this and in some of the parts that I've cut out, we mention the fact that, you know, this is our way of doing immersion, but there's other ways that people can, can achieve immersion and they're all perfectly valid. So we're going to start off with that, you know, that caveat that all ways of playing this game is are fun and great. And as long as you're having fun and everybody at your table is having fun and feeling safe, then you're good. So yeah, uh, another thing that I wanted to mention was that we are so passionate about this topic that we, we swear a little bit in this episode, more, more than usual. So this episode is a little more explicit and that's why I've tagged it as such. So I just wanted to give you guys listening that heads up. So, um, listeners beware, I guess, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. All right. So with that kind of heads up about today's episode, let's segue into the discussion. Hope you enjoy it. Hello everybody. And welcome to the, to the discussion, to the interview. And here I am today with my favorite power couple in the tabletop RPG, Twitter Sphere. They are known for being the third-party publishers and the, the creators of the underground Oracle third-party publishing company. They create all kinds of supplements and subclasses and sub-races and items and locations for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Very similar to what you might find in like the Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. You know, this is really the couple that does everything. We have Keith and Jess from Underground Oracle. Hi, Keith. Hi, Jess. Why did you say hello to the listeners? Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hey, my pleasure. It's been it's been a long time coming. I'm really happy to be able to talk to you guys on the show. And thank you, by the way, for for giving some of your content to me as a giveaway item prize. That was a little while ago now, but I never I never thanked you for that. Thank you. That was that was oh, awesome. no problem. You want some more, let us know. <laughs> we're, very, uh, we're very narcissistic creators and we're willing to give things away for free to people who enjoy our stuff because we love to hear how much people enjoy our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you guys hear it a lot because your stuff is fantastic. Um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about about this this content that you create and a little bit about yourselves as well? What we create is, um, like he said, supplements for 5th edition. Um, what we try to do is, you know, we take a lore-first approach to everything that we do so that people can, you know, inject a little bit of our world into their existing worlds without really interrupting the stream of their own campaigns. So, you know, you can take any of our supplements that we produce and slot them right into your existing campaigns, no matter if you're playing in Forgotten Realms or anywhere, and you'll you'll still have something very flavorful that you can use that feels very unique and original, and that is you know we know is representative of our own personal campaign setting. Yeah, the the things that you see that we come up with or we create exist in the world of Poisonloth, and that's our our world. But like Jessica said, each thing, no matter what you're looking at, you can grab it, drop it directly into your campaign. And you, you may get a fill from it because everything's filled with lore and we want you to have some richness so that when you're talking to your players, they can, they can fill it. Or when a player's reading something, they're like, oh my gosh, that's how that works, you know, and they can role play it better. 
So you will get that, but what you won't get is you won't feel like, oh, this just just don't fit because it's made just for this world. There's a our 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 world is very large, so there's a lot of different areas. So as we make locations and as we make uh, NPCs or anything like that, you're going to be able to take it and go. He would work here, or oh man, these type of archetypes would be wonderful here or anywhere. You know, depending how you you have it in your world. Awesome, awesome, and you know, given how lore heavy some of your content can be, do you, do you feel, uh, Jessica, do you feel that the content is transferable to other systems, or or, or is it pretty tied to fifth edition? It, that's the really cool part about a lot of our supplements. We have friends who only play other systems, but they're still able to use the the lore that we include in our supplements. Uh, that we have like our locations could be for any system, really. They could be completely awesome. system agnostic. Our creatures, you could use everything but the stat block. But the way that we write them, you would know exactly how this creature operates, how it lives in the world, how it makes its way, and be able to create your own, you know, stats necessary for whatever game that you're playing. Mm, I see. Cool. Well, that's really cool to hear. I, I for one, run mostly games that aren't Dungeons & Dragons these days. Um, not because I don't love Dungeons & Dragons. I love it to death. But, you know, there are other systems that do certain things more to my taste. But anyway, yes, that's fantastic. And actually... Speaking of uh, systems that we run and systems that I that, that we play, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about the systems that you run and the systems that you play? We'll start with Keith. Who? What is your geek origin story? Oh man. <laughs> uh, well, basically, uh, and I've, I've, to I've told a bit of this before, but it's it's you know when I started out, I was I think fourteen years old, and my mother and I were in a store. And it was like this, it was a crazy like discount store and everything on it was somebody was going to throw in the trash because went, they went and grabbed it and put it on a shelf. I seen this bin and I seen this thing called Star Frontiers. And I'm like, I've never heard of that. And it was basically, basically I think when Star Frontiers went dead, people were throwing it out there and it ended up in people's bins in different areas or in the, in the trash. And I didn't know what role playing was. I had no idea. But I seen this book. I thought, is that a comic of some sort or a story? And, but it had science fiction and it had a really cool thing in the front of it. I'm like, oh, I want that. So I grabbed a hold of it and my mom bought it for me. Went home, started reading this thing. And it was a, uh, back then, a module. But the supplement, as I'm going through it, I go, oh my gosh. It blew my mind because it wanted me to tell a story. And I, because I, I never knew what Dungeons and Dragons was, I had no idea. Suddenly I'm reading this thing and I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to have people I'm telling this to. As a kid, that's all I ever did. I, I made up worlds. <laughs> I told stories to my friends. We'd take our G.I. Joes. I'd build a giant base, and then we'd take yeah, Star Wars and yeah, combine yeah. it and make a whole new story. So that made sense. And literally five days later, this kid that was in martial arts with me said, hey, you ever played D&D? &D? And I said, no. He's like, you want to? And I'm like, wait, that was what was on this, made by the makers of D&D &D on this thing. I was like, yes. Played one game with him, and uh, he seemed like he was very uh, shy or something when he ran the game. So I was like, oh, he must be, you know, having a really hard time doing this because he's just not used to me. He doesn't know me very well, but he ran a game and I loved it. And I immediately was like, how do you do this? What do I do? And he's like, you want to borrow a book? I'm like, yes. So I borrowed a book from him and you know, this was an old D and D book. He was the same as me. You know, both of us were poor kids. We didn't have a lot of money. And uh, he gave me this, he gave me his used book of another old book of D and D. And I think it was advanced Dungeons and Dragons back then that uh, was again, probably changing at the time. Um, but still, uh, one of the older editions, and there was no world. It was just a bunch of creatures, and it was telling me how to do this or that, or maybe he gave me two books. I can't remember exactly, but I, I took it home, and I was like, oh, I'll just make this my little fantasy world that I was playing with, you know. I literally went from, like, 13, 14, got caught playing G.I. Joes by a couple of girls, and I was like, oh, oh, crap, you know. <laughs> Gotta stop doing that. So now I'm like, I can play an adult version of this. So we kind of, I started running a game, and I just kind of made up a little world and pretty soon I'm finding old Star, uh, Star Frontier stuff and old D&D stuff. And I made up a science fiction world. I made up a, a fantasy world that I had already been running. So it was funny. I just kind of went forward from there because I didn't have money. So I would just have to keep making up my uh, supplements, basically. you know. And so I'd have these jagged notes everywhere. And, and that's really where I started. And I just went from that point on. Cool. That's awesome. That's great. Mm -hmm. It's funny how... That story, I feel like, will resonate with a lot of people. You know, this this 
being a little kid and loving telling stories, loving pretending, playing pretend, you know, in another in another world where where there's mythical creatures and dragons and being the knight in shining armor or or being the sneaky villain and you know all these things. It's I feel like a lot of people that do that then transition into role playing games as an adult yeah. or it's it's like a the natural <laughs> progression. Sense. Exactly. Yes, you're, you're drawn to it. And if you're also, if you're, if you are a poor kid, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. um, both Jessica and I grew up rather poor and what this does for you and what role playing is, which was, you know, the ability to escape mm-hmm. whatever you don't like in life. Um, and what I, I coined it later, I said, you know, this is a vacation for the mind. It allows you to get away from stress, come back to the real world and reset yourself. It's, it's really intriguing because it is, it's, you grew up and wanted to escape, but what you didn't realize where you were using this as a tool to help you heal yourself in ways. And I know people say weird things like D&D saved my life, but it was the matter of being with good friends and sharing your ideas, your stories and your way you felt that saved your life. Well, it's certainly, yeah, it certainly is very unique in that sense. There, there are very few other things that exist you know, very few hobbies that exist that allow you to create in such a collaborative way, in such an open way with people that you trust and people that you love. It's it's really quite unique in that sense. And how about you, Jessica? When did you start taking what what did Keith call it? Vacations for the mind. And and tell us a little bit about your your vacation preferences, if you will. Huh. So yeah, like Keith alluded to, I was I was pretty wicked poor growing up. So um me and my younger brother and my younger sister we would have like, when we were really little, it was just creating these like ridiculous, intense, ongoing melodramas with our Ninja Turtle action <laughs> figures and stuff that we'd get from yard sales or love like it. all these different it. weird action figures that we would get from when my mamma would go to yard sales and grab toys for us out of the 10 cent box. Um, so we'd do that. And then it evolved into like, I remember playing this, we used to play this Pokemon board game um, nice. where you would catch these little pogs. But we were like, this is such a simplistic version of what we want to be able to do. And so I flipped the board over and we drew like a new continent to catch Pokemon and invented all these. We played this game forever, like until the thing just fell apart. And so we were always doing stuff with our board games and stuff like that. And then um, when I was probably around 11 or 12, my um, mom for Christmas bought my dad this game called Hero Quest and a bunch of these expansions. And nice. uh, yes, yeah, nice. that like blew my mind. I remember my mom handed me this like little character box that I think was for a rogue, I want to say or something. And um, I just fell in love with it. I was like, Oh my gosh, you're supposed to be this person. This is like, it's, it's like being in a book, but in real life, it was amazing to me. And it just, it grew from there. Just the, the wanting to, it, when you're a voracious reader or you're a person like Keith said, you're just looking for that escape. To me, I romanticize the hell out of it too. Role playing is like the perfect way to accomplish that. It's like you sit down for a few hours and you can just forget this world and in the best way be just, you know, just be swallowed by another one. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, the things you guys are saying, it it really, I I love it. I love everything about it because a (laughs) hundred percent, this hobby is something like I, like, like I mentioned, like you mentioned, it's something that really allows you to escape it allows you to immerse yourself into another space be literally be somebody else whether that be another part of who you are but in an exaggerated way or to explore a different a different personality entirely on its own you know it's it's this really unique opportunity to do that around a table with people that you trust and are you, you feel comfortable doing that with and that I think leads us very well into today's topic at hand. So, as mentioned in the introduction, that I recorded, bef- you know, later, but it appeared before <laughs> what, we, what we're talking about now. Um, we're we going to talk about time. Yeah, we're, we're doing some time warp <laughs> here. I knew it. Um, I knew it. <laughs> to talk about immersion. So, everything you mentioned, you know, it. it all the lines are starting to connect. All the dots are starting to connect for me as to why immersion was something that you wanted so strongly to talk about, Jess, because yeah. <laughs> it makes sense to me now that that is one of the foundational pieces of role-playing games for you. And I, and I think it is for a lot of people. So um, let's do what we always do on the show and start by defining 
what immersion means in the tabletop RPG context. And then once we have that, then we'll start giving some strategies and anecdotes and stories about immersion after. But let, let's let's kick off the conversation about immersion in role playing games, and uh, let's let's give it let's give it to Jessica again. What is immersion? The it's the ability to feel like you are walking around in a fully realized world as a fully realized person who is either, like you said, an exaggerated characteristic of yourself or someone entirely new. It's, it's being transported to you know, another location seamlessly. And I, I used to say before, you know, what I'm looking for is realistic fantasy, but that was not exactly true because I, I want the fantastical. What I need is the immersion. I want to be able to walk around without falling in a plot hole or without being yanked out or whatever. So that's what immersion mm. is to me. Cool. How about you, Keith? Let's add um, to that. It's hard. It's hard to add to that. It really is. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, what has always been for me is because I was a DM ninety nine percent of the time. Um, it was can I get my players to the stage where they forget about being Mike and Bill and this? You know, they they just they don't think about that anymore. And now they start calling themselves by their players' names, um, and they start reacting as if the players would react and it pulls me into the story. And when I forget that I'm DMing, that's immersion. When, I, when I'm in the story and I'm writing the book live, that to me, there's nothing more beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's, it is really a fantastic thing. I, I'm going to say that a million times probably in this episode, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I agree 100 million percent with everything that both of you said. It's really this opportunity to fully engage the table, regardless of role, whether it's game master or player or keeper or whatever, whatever label each of the people sitting at that table has, if they feel like they are somewhere else, that they are embodying somebody else, yep, then it's immersion. That's that's immersion. And absolutely, if you if you don't have to feel like you're the DM anymore, and they don't have to feel like they're the player anymore, you've arrived. A hundred percent. And you know, I. My maybe my perspective is a little softer. I, I think that you can kind of world travel a little bit when you're playing. You, yes. You're still achieving immersion if for that one scene that lasts two minutes, you are Stormblade. And then mm. after that, you're eating Cheetos and you're drinking your beer and you're laughing about something stupid with your friend. You, you've, you've, you've removed yourself from the immersion. But even if there are pockets of it, that is just to make it clear to, to the listeners that is still immersion. That's still 100% immersion. So with that, I'm going to add a few little caveats. So we did talk about different roles. We talked about being a game master and how it might be different for a game master as it might be for a player. It's going to oh, yeah. feel different, whereas the players have to buy into it. Their, their job is to forget that they're at a table and try their best to, to sink themselves into that world. It's, so the roles in accomplishing immersion are different but let's let's go right into some of some examples where you feel like you you really were able to immerse your table and obviously this seems to be a strength of you as game master keith and for you jess this is a strength for you as a player like it's still regardless of the role you're playing being able to be immersed in the world that you're playing in is hard so so yeah i'd like to hear from both of you situations and give a little bit of context for, for the listeners, but also a little bit of the background as to why you felt like that was so successful as a, like an immersive moment in your game. And so Keith, you, you were talking about an NPC dying. Is that, would you feel like that, that, that encapsulates a, a good moment that you could explain to us or is there another yeah. moment? Uh, I, I'll explain another moment that's similar along these lines, but um, we had a, I, man, I, I've ran so many games. So Jessica's really my archive keeper, but uh, <laughs> There was a game where we were playing with our whole table, and one of the NPCs, I think it was, uh, got killed. And Lisa is one of my best friends. She started crying mm -hmm. at the end of the table. And I was like, oh, God, I, as a DM, I don't get immersed unless my players are immersed. That's, that's one of the rules that I, that I have is for my, my own self. I can't help it. I'm just like, I, I refuse to do that. So I want my players to be immersed, and then I get immersed. Well, they were, we were, we got a good group. We we're all so immersed. And we're all like, when she started crying, I'm playing an NPC who's very affected by her, and I actually got teary-eyed. And it's funny because then your your back part of you usually kicks in and says, "Okay, it's a game, it's cool." 
but you don't want to take away that moment either because it's very emotional and it's beautiful. But what was funny is I looked around the table. There was not one dry eye in the room <laughs> because everyone cared so much about that NPC. And what that showed me, one of our rules when you play um, is like, look, if there's an NPC and he's your best friend and this player right beside you, you don't know very well, then you don't know him very well. You're not you're, when he's in the game, whether he's your best friend outside the game, when he's in the game, if he's a jerk in the game, he's a jerk in the game. And that NPC who you said you would die for, you'll die for. So what ended up happening was it got to the point where it was really cool. And I, that's when I knew this group had arrived. It was years ago. And I was like, these guys have arrived. When we had that moment, I was like, that NPC meant so much to her that she is down there crying because that NPC died and everyone else is teary-eyed and it's an NPC. And if you go to a lot of people's games, like, ah, NPC, whatever. But if you're going to get immersed, those are real people. And those is there, is there something that you did in that, in that example that you feel uh, really facilitated that immersion, really uh, facilitated that emotional connection to that, to that character? Yes. And that was, and that was one when I get immersed, I, I really, it's kind of funny, but because of just DMing so long that way, if I'm playing 10, 15 characters, if I jump into each one, I'm that character. That's, I just don't even think about it anymore. It's just mm -hmm. that thing. And it's not, I wouldn't call it like a great skill or anything. It's just something that happened and, and it works really well. When that character died, I basically gave Lisa, I, I told her, and then that, that NPC, by the way, was a, a awakened familiar. <laughs> and, it told her how much it loved her and that she had done everything for it, you know, that it could ever wanted. And even though it had to, even though it was going to go away, she made its life something so special that that part of it would carry on to the universe. Cool. And, and it almost sounds like Keith, when, when you're playing these NPCs as a game master, you really put yourself in the skin of those NPCs. Do, do you do voices or or change your intonation or things like that when you're when you're portraying them? Is that something that you do? Yes, every yes. every NPC has their own voice, their own personality. Um, I mean, it, it pisses some sometimes it pisses people off because they'll want something to go a certain way. But I, if I start playing that character, I'm that character. So it's that it's how that character is, and mm -hmm. they'll be like, ah. I did this and this and he did this and it'll be after the game and I'll say, so what did you expect him to do? Well, I expect him to do this and this. I've said, well, that's not who the character is, <laughs> you know? And it's funny because some people love that. Some people hate that. That's awesome. That's all. And, and you know, I, I'm really happy to hear that because I think that that is one of the ways that you can foster immersion the most, especially, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, a, in a game where role play, where, well, there's a lot of social, you know, there's a lot of social encounters. There's a lot of characters. Yes. There's a lot of drama happening. It's almost like a melodrama, like TV show, like one of those. Yep. But, but you're in a fantasy setting and you're playing dwarves and elves and stuff. But anyway, I, I, I agree with you 100% that that is, whether you were doing it on purpose or not, and it feels like you were doing it on purpose, I, I think that having those voices, having distinct consistent personalities mm -hmm. facilitates immersion probably more than anything else yes. you can have you can have a lot of really cool lore and we can get to that later you can have a lot of really cool um visual aids but for me personally as a player and as a game uh, i guess as a game master too but when i'm a player and i can see cool characters that the game master helps me imagine Yes. By giving them a voice, by giving them even like by standing up and like taking a different posture for one character versus another, it mm -hmm. really helps me differentiate each of these characters and then my imagination takes over. So I think that for those of you listening, if you've been hesitant to have character voices or use character voices or you don't feel like you have the skill to do it. I'd encourage you to try just, just, just like make your voice, but deeper and then make your voice, but higher pitch and like faster and slower and just like mess around with that kind of stuff. You don't got to put mm -hmm. accents in it. You don't got to do any, I mean, you, if you can, that'd be cool, but <laughs> yeah, you, you don't need, you, you don't need accents. 
No. Keith is amazing, and he's got like two accents that he can do. <laughs> and he's he's the best GM I've ever met, but he's got like two accents that he can do. So the accents are not what make it. For me as the player, like like you said, just mannerisms sometimes are enough. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. way that you're holding yourself, the way that you're moving your hands, the way that you're talking, the way that I mean, those things are super important for immersion immersion, and they really do, they really do help out a lot. And keeping it consistent above all else is what's super important. Like like you said. Um, you need to t- take a note or whatever and make sure that every game it's the same one because your players are going to notice. It's just like if you're reading comic books and suddenly you're like, oh my, Captain Marvel would never act like that. That's Goonie. Mm-hmm. Why is she doing that? You, you, you realize it as a, as a player, just like you do as a reader, when that's off. So if you're going to do it, do, you know, and you've never done it before, start small and stay consistent. And that's enough to help facilitate immersion. Yeah. The, the other thing I would add to that, too, is if there is a change in personality, uh, and I've had, like I said, I've actually had a player one time like, that guy would not do that. That guy would not do that until the next story came out. He was like, oh, you know, so that's <laughs> something to have a reason for why that is there. But um, I, I agree. Uh, I started playing, like, becoming the characters, like, like I said, really quick. But now what happened different over time is I don't have to try anymore. You, you DM enough and you play these characters enough, pretty soon... Once you see that character, and I use art for this a lot. I'll look at a character, and here's what he is. Here's what I feel he is. I don't even write it down a lot of times. But once you start role-playing that, it starts coming out. Then take notes and go, that's who he is. And this, You will experience the game a million times better. It'll be so much more fun. And you can have fun with kooky voices, fun voices. And I think that that is everything. That If you want immersion, man, have fun with it. And don't be embarrassed. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I really like what you said there, Keith, about... Sometimes you just see a picture and you just just come up with something on the fly. Because I, I think that one thing that people listening to this might be a little bit worried about is that, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. But it doesn't have to be. No. It, if you want it to be, you certainly can. But just going on Pinterest, looking up dwarf warrior pictures, find some concept art, pin yep. it to a board. That's your NPC. And then when you're playing the game, a voice comes to you or a personality comes to you and then you note it down. And I think that's the most, or for me anyway, that's the thing that it took too long for me to do because <laughs> then if I didn't, I mean, I would usually have a pretty decent memory of what that character was, but in the long term, if that character keeps coming back, you're going to have a hard time making them consistent. If you don't, you know, note a few things down. Oh, they're yes. gruffy or they're, super loyal or there, you know, a, a few like core elements that you're going to base everything else off of. And then you can build on that. Yeah. And, and, and what, what I always do is, so let's say you make a character in our game. We're going to ask you to come up with five personality traits at least that explain who you are. And that's mm-hmm. for you. It's also for your DM, but that's for you. So you can go, oh, well, you know, the character I made is like this and this. And pretty soon you're not all looking down at those anymore. Um, but as the DM... I'll do that with my guy. I'm like, oh, I played him out. Oop, I'm going to, here we go. We have a little break. I'm going to write this down. And then when I come back five months later for this game they want to play back into, I'm like, oh, shit, I have 20 NPCs, and I don't remember how I was playing them back then. Now I have little notes. Oh, the voice kind of sounds like this. This I told her, I said, one of these days I'm going to record my voices with yeah. different characters so I can jump back into them easier. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. That's a re- <coughs> Excuse me. That is a really good idea. It um, really it would help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I'm going to maybe shift the pendulum a little bit. Okay. Talk a little bit about the player's perspective. That's okay. Yeah. So, so Jess, um, you mentioned you, you have a pretty easy time entering the skin of your character when you're a player. I'll be honest. There were times where there were characters that I couldn't do that. Like I just could, I I couldn't enter my character's skin. I had a really hard time. Maybe it was because of the way I built yeah. my character. But and I say build the way I cr- cr- concocted their personality yeah, was just exactly. too different. But um, I, I suppose what I'd like to hear from you is what kind of things do you do, or what kind of characters have you played that you were like this was really easy for me to embody and and. Maybe there's an example in there of of, a, of, a, of an instance where you really felt like the character that you were trying to portray. The the ability to just kind of do it now is something that has come from role playing incessantly. Like I would 
I would die at the table, like role playing. That's how much I love doing it and how long I will do it if people around me will allow it to happen. So I've <laughs> played so long and at first it was not easy at all, but the writing down the adjectives helped a lot because that was like, okay, here's my, here's my guiding thing. This is what the, and also for me, from a, from a creations perspective, I, and this people will hate it because it's a very not Dungeons and Dragons way of doing it, but when I create a character, I'm creating a person. So I already know when I'm like, before I even roll my stats, I'm like, this is the kind of person that I want to play. Yep. Cool. Um, That's awesome. The easiest ones to play are the ones that are just like Jess in a trench coat. You know, if I'm playing a smart ass character that's allowed to do zingers all day long, that's, <laughs> I have to fight to scrape that out of my character. So like, I have to be like, this character is not a smart ass. Do not have a witty retort to everything somebody says at the table because that's not going to fit your character at all. So scraping the Jess off is like my first step. I'm like, okay. Uh, but now, you know, I can, I play characters and I try to think of um, things that I don't normally say. I don't normally call people bud. But my last character, her thing was, I don't know you, I call you Bud. That's what she does. And when she was a child, she got her teeth, her front teeth busted out. And it was a pretty traumatic event for her. She got them fixed. But when she's nervous, she runs her tongue across her front teeth. Uh, those are two things that I'm going to do physically for her that differentiate her from every other character that I play. Plus, she's a very nonchalant character, so I lounge a little bit when I'm role-playing the character. Just doing those physical things, kind of like when you're, you're doing a shitty customer service job, and they're like, they can hear if you smile. Just doing those physical things really goes a long way toward also portraying those characters. And I have, I have made characters that, like, the moment that I sit down, I'm like, I have fucked myself. I can't play this character. <laughs> yeah. And yep. I have. And um, I can think of, like, one time where it was really bad. I don't know why I wanted to play some, like, kind of basic assassin lady. But she was so basic and unoriginal that I was like, I don't have anything for this character. This is an action figure. Like, why did I make this character? And so I took Keith out of the room, and I was like, I can't do this. You have to kill me. And he was like, what? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I did. I you have to do something during this game. I'm like, it'll be a great moment for everybody else. I'm like, but you have to kill me so I can make a new character because I just cannot do this. And he was like, okay, I guess. So he killed me and I ended up making one of my favorite characters ever, like in that same game, which was great. Um, but I've, I've also played characters that I was able to fully immerse myself in, but they were so opposite to myself and their goals were so different that it was almost like... I was an actor playing a role that I was very excited for the movie to be done. Like I was doing a great job. I knew it was being a great job. The story was great. And I was doing a great, I was, I was playing my role in that story that needed to be told, but we'd get done. And I was like, man, I can't wait to play this other character that I'm thinking about because this lady is not my cup of tea. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's actually, that's happened to me. Uh, often and it happens to me often when i play villains actually when i'm like, when i'm game mastering and i play a villain god it's hard to be an <laughs> ass to your friends like you know like the despicable yeah villain like the unrepentant yeah, yeah, like, yeah it's not fun it's really and, and I, I shouldn't say it's not fun it's fun but you come out of the character and you're like oh thank god i'm not that character anymore like thank god i don't you feel vile. And and I really like, though, Jess, how you talked about having goals for your characters. Because yeah. I think, regardless of role, game master playing an NPC or a player playing a character, if you have a motivation or you have a goal or objective that that character is striving towards, and then a couple of personality traits, usually that's enough. That, 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 that's enough to give you, as the player kind of like a like a a concept or an idea for how they're going to react to whatever is put in front of them. Yes. Nice launching point. And then also yeah. Yeah, you you and you use those that's all you need is like a handful of adjectives and a basic goal that would be appropriate to the person that you're playing at the at the level that you're playing them at. Um and then you build from there and you evolve from there. Mm -hmm. I might be I my adjectives could shift dramatically between level one and level five, even. I mean, because you've seen so much. You've been, through, you've been through so much. You've grown as a person, that character has. So Absolutely. you also have to be willing to evolve. I've played characters that have been 
absolute jackasses who have then become like heroic figures. And I've played the exact opposite. And I've played people that knew who they were from the moment that they set off. And they were basically, you know, the exact same way till the end because they were that person. She she is seriously an amazing role player. Uh. And I, I think that's one of the things that help you as a DM to get immersed. If you don't if you don't have amazing role players, help them become amazing role players. To be and I see this a lot, you don't have to be someone from the cast of Critical Role or the cast of Dimension 20 or anything to to get immersion or to be a good role player or to be a good GM. That's not at all necessary. You're good if you're able to convince the people around you that you are Stormblade, that you are, mm-hmm. you know, that you're in it just like they are, that you're you're there to help facilitate the story. Like, that makes you a good player. That makes you a good yep. GM. Absolutely. And, and you know, in my philosophy, personally, I believe, Keith, I think we're kind of on the same page when it comes to our characters. You know, it's fun to have all these characters, all these voices, all these different personalities, all these different things make for fantastic immersion. But I, I do want to play the devil's advocate and, and side a little bit with what Jess and, and take what you're saying and stretch it even more. You don't need any of that for 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 immersion. You, you know, it it's a lot easier if you have it. Yeah. But you could be a character as a player that literally talks exactly like you. You could, but you know, you have some different motivations. You have some different adjectives. And so long as being that character, being Stormblade doesn't necessarily need to be Stormblade like this. (laughs) Or it doesn't need to be Stormblade like this. It can be you talking like you, but if you feel like you're not you and you are Stormblade. That's it. You've, you've been immersed. That Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's different, you know, that's the other thing. Again, levels of immersion. Mm-hmm. Where, where you're comfortable at. I, I, now, I think, again, whose game you're in, how you're going to play with that person, yeah. how you all want to play together. But where you're comfortable at, that's what's important. And I do think there's deeper levels of immersion, absolutely. You know, if, if you just like you have levels of D&D. There's different levels of immersion, definitely. And like, whereas I'm like, I like to portray everything from the first person. I like to be the character that I'm at when I'm at the table and then signal if I'm doing something out of game rather than in character. That's another thing. I have seen other players and I've played with other players who don't necessarily do that exact same thing, but I can still tell they're very immersed. Yeah, Their characters exactly. are still having moments together. They're still having moments with me. They're, they're still take, walking away from that game going, oh my gosh, that was so fucking amazing. And I loved it when, you know, this character did this and this character did this. And they're not even using people's names. They're using character names. And they didn't do what I would normally do to get the immersion that I like. And they're still having the exact same experience. And I've had players that, like you were saying, Jess, they, for them, it's almost as if spectating the game is immersive. Within itself, spectating the game is something that uh, kind of checks that box for them. So yeah. I, I think that there's there's ways to achieve immersion without necessarily putting on the role of your character. I think, and, and I'll, I'll very quickly touch on them, and I've talked about it before in other episodes, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna labor the point, but things like ambient sounds, things like visual aids, uh, having a battle map, drawing out the battle map, while they don't necessarily facilitate playing a character. They certainly can assist a person who's in the game better understand the environment that they're in. And sometimes that's enough for someone to feel like they've been transported there. That's a fine line, right? Like you, you don't necessarily need to put on roles to be immersed. No, and, and we we're, when, when we're saying when we're saying what we're saying, we're completely coming from the perspective of just our style of gaming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right, cool. So we talked a lot about voices and things, uh, and our as players and as as game masters. I do want to touch a little bit about lore. I mean, you, you the two of you write content for people to use in their games. How do you write your content in a way that facilitates that kind of immersion that 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 you strive for at your table? Keith is a natural storyteller, so that helps. And I am a natural asshole. So when we're saying, <laughs> when we're when we're creating stuff together, um, and he's like, "Oh, this you you know the, the city operates this way." Immediately, if I 
what I don't know, I describe it like detailing a car or something. Like if I feel a rough spot, I need it explained to me because mm. I remember being one of those asshole fantasy readers who would read something and be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? And you're going to come across people who, well-meaning or not, are going to be asking those questions. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So we get the lore super immersive and we, we create it that way because we try to look at it from every possible angle and go, if I'm walking around in this city, does this city feel real? Do I feel mm. like I could live in this city? Do I feel like I could venture in this city? And if it doesn't feel that way, why? What do we add to make it more immersive, to make it more of an experience? And so when we write it, we make sure that we put in those details and those, those things that will smooth out the rough spots to make sure that a GM who, who is just looking at this for the first time can go, oh, and if they happen to have someone like me at their table that is an asshole that goes, well, why does it work like this? They can say, oh, because of this or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So we, the, the, the depth of it is super important for us because that is, it is how you facilitate the immersion by making these these places that feel real. They don't feel like you can knock them over because they're two-dimensional. They feel like they're places you can walk into. I love that you say that, Jess, because I think that's a strategy that a lot of game masters I've encountered employ when they try to facilitate immersion. And it's yes. this, me as the game master, I am going to be so immersed in the world that I'm game mastering, the setting that I'm that I'm running, that... Even if it doesn't all make its way to my players, I know it. And because yeah. I know it and I'm immersed in this environment as a, as a game master, then I can convey the reality to my players by picking and choosing the right things based on what they're engaging with. I yeah. think, too, yep. sometimes scope can get intimidating. So I, for me, anyway, a strategy that I like to employ is to try to focus on what's in front of me you know what is next game gonna be yeah how do i make sure that the fishing village that my friends are gonna be exploring feels real and i don't have to worry too much about anything else because as long as i make that fishing village feel real and the four or five fishermen that they're gonna interact with and maybe the one shopkeep you know, you know i have a i have a cast of characters i have an environment that I feel comfortable enough in I'm immersed in, I can make them immersed in that. Yeah. And then if they start asking me questions about stuff that I haven't figured out yet, I can either a improvise it if I feel comfortable doing that because maybe I have prepared something else somewhere yeah. along the way, or, you know, it's not the end of the world to tell your players, Hey guys, I don't know right now. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, Maybe it I takes mean, them away. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, Jess. sorry. Well, like we we do a very collaborative style of gaming, and sometimes Keith will be running a game, and I'm like, I I'm going. To, I I feel like the story would be really cool if it went this way. So I'm going to, and because the evidence looks like it's leading this way, I'm going to present that as a character as this is what I'm 100% sure is happening. And then there, Keith, there's definitely been times where Keith has been like, yes, that is what is happening. And that wasn't what was happening before I brought nope, it. No, we can't better idea, so. And, <laughs> yeah, I have run games and been like, okay, here's, here's, this is, this is my plot. This is what's happening. And then someone else on the table will be like, oh, and I'll say something completely different. And I'm like, yep, that's what's happening. Don't be afraid to mm -hmm. also, you know, if you're, if you're comfortable with it and just yes, anding your players it gets them invested right like you're saying jess like you've said it, it gets them so invested because they figured it out yeah because yeah. they and, and you, you almost have to look at it at the opposite end of the spectrum to fully understand how important that is because if you deny them that opportunity they're gonna feel like shit they're gonna be like ah oh, i thought i had it and then if you continuously deny them the opportunity yeah. to solve the problems that you're presenting to them, they're going to stop trying to solve them. And, and, and I think the same can also be said for just, and maybe this is like a, a very self-indulgent thing to say, but me as a player, I love it when my game master gives me something that's just for me. You know, yes. whether it's an NPC that's associated to my background or it's a magic item that is an heirloom to my family 
or it's a piece of information that they text just to me and I get to figure it out and I get to decide how much of it goes out to the table and how much of it I keep for myself. Doing that kind of thing to other, to, like to everybody at your table as a game master will increase their investment in the story that's being told. And also by, by virtue of increasing the investment, increasing their engagement and their uh, uh, immersion in the story. Yeah. It's, it's a really great way to get that immersion immediately. And there are, and, and you know, there are other games that have it baked into the rules that kind of instruct the game masters like to do these things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think to, to Wizards of the Coast's credit, I think that they've had, they put out several D&D books in the last few years where they've tried things like that. Like um, uh, everybody gets a secret at the beginning of the game and they can decide whether they're not gonna share it with someone or things like that. Um, trying to get people more involved with their backstories with like things like that. That's a really, as a player, if I write a backstory and then it never comes into play, I'm always disappointed. Mm -hmm. Now, thankfully I don't really ever have that because my backstories come into play a lot because Keith is a GM that does like read people's backstories and take important things from them. And if I say that I've got this family, they're going to show up. You know what I mean? Um, but that's also, like you said, it's a really great way to, even if it's something super small, like remembering that they get called a specific nickname from an NPC but yeah. like a note on the character sheet, something that makes that, that player go, oh, you remembered what I invested in this character and you're willing to invest it in the game. Like that's a super big deal as a player, like even something just that small. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Little things go a long way. and. It's just something that I think more and more game masters should try to do. It's also something that other players should try to do. Yeah. I'm looking at the clock and I want to make sure that we still have some time to talk about a couple of other things. So I'm going to move on, if that's all right, with the two that's of you. Um, Morales as you see fit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one, one thing that I wanted to talk about was the distinctions between virtual games and in-person games. We, we talked a little bit about it very briefly before we, you know, we got the recording going. And I think that this is something that th the listeners deserve to hear us talk about in a little bit more detail. So what kind of strategies, or I, I guess the first is a two-part question. The first question is, are there differences when facilitating immersion in a virtual game and a tabletop game, like a real in-person game? I'm going to assume the question, the answer is yes, but I'll let you guys answer that. And then the second part of that question is, and with those differences, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you embrace each of those two platforms for what they are to facilitate immersion more? And I'll, I guess I'll, I'll throw the question first to Jess. Yeah. So, I mean, there, of course it's different. Um, and the, the it's the I don't know I, the energy first of all like when I'm sitting at the table with people and we're 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 running the game and we're having a great time you know you have that you have that energy that you're all sharing it's like this mm -hmm. this shared energy that's something that j you just can't capture virtually you can have these amazing moments definitely but I think there's a certain energy that you're missing and I do think it's harder to be and this is just for me personally because of the style of gaming that I do and because of what. I need in order to to get the immersion level that I like. It is more difficult to do online because there's all sorts of technical difficulties. You're going to have breakdowns in sound. You're going to have breakdowns in everything. People's my dog is going to be running by barking like an asshole. <laughs> Someone's child is going to need attention. Somebody's you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, children. No, but um, those things are hard. And I'm going to sound I'm I'm going to sound like a super hypocrite with my camera off right now, but <laughs> having your camera on helps a lot because you can see each other and it will help like avoid running over each other, which was a tact that Keith and I used in the online games that we've run with people, which has helped a lot. Um, also, you know, just before the game starts, really expressing to people, trying not to talk over each other, giving everybody their moment. If somebody is having some sort of technical difficulties, still trying to, you know, give them the space to be able to jump back into a scene or catch up, things like that. Um, yeah, I think that there are, I think some people are much more comfortable online because you're able to present those like battle maps and things that like people use much more easier, easily than you are at the mm -hmm. table. Um, you have a lot of stuff, just right at your fingertips, a lot of, um, a lot of autom automatic automated things that you can use as well. So, and that may help people with immersion. That's the other thing too. I mean, 
it may help people to just be able to click a button and it rolls and it shows whether you succeeded or you failed or whatever. And you can just get back to doing whatever you're doing in the moment. So I don't want to, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. That might be the way they're best having immersion is online with people. Maybe their best way of having immersion is the exact opposite of mine. They want their camera off. They want a character picture up. They want to pretend like they're Stormblade for the next hour. And the easiest way for them to do that is to not be seen as Jess. And I completely understand that, you know, that's their version of immersion. My version is just, it's much more difficult to attain that online than it is mm-hmm. off. But that's, that's just me. It's as certainly, uh, yeah, I, I certainly, I, I mean, personally, I agree with that as well. I feel like it's hard to feed off of the energy of the table and, and, and that buy-in, right? Like when you can feel that everybody at the table is buying that you're somebody else, they, yeah. they, they, they realize that Jameson, the blacksmith is talking to them and it's not you and you can see it in their eyes. That's that, yes. that just like, it just escalates. It just keeps yep. each piece of energy piles on top of itself to make immersion happen for me but you're you're right there's so many great tools online there's so many awesome like battle maps that are like actually videos i saw this one that's like a bridge and the bridge slowly fall like crumbles like there's a goblins underneath and they blow up the bridge and the bridge slowly falls apart (laughs) over the course of like an hour of of in-game time and like that's freaking cool like if i could have a if i could have a tv propped underneath my game table and have that play with people around the table in real life that's the perfect scenario for me but that's never gonna happen (laughs) so 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 yeah there's so many cool tools that the virtual setting enables you to have but it doesn't outweigh the loss of that energy for me how about for you keith what uh how are they different and how do you facilitate immersion when you're stuck doing one or the other well, I'm going to say first that, you know, I, I have a, a lot of ideas I feel very passionate about. Um, so I want everyone to know that I am not saying that my ideas are the best ideas. They are the best ideas for me and my table. But I'm passionate. So I'm going to say absolutely virtual is not even close. But <laughs> that's, my, that's my point. Uh, I, now, I will say the last two games yes. and our friends. Uh, Tom and Bodie from Homie and the Dude. Blake Francis. Yep. Kayla. From DM Dallas. I David from afar. Uh, all these people that we played with were, we're talking fantastic DMs or professional DMs. They're running things or creating things. Um, and, and some of them weren't. Every last one of them were amazing. So that does not always happen. I was lucky enough to have a very patient group. They all said, yes, we'll take on your style of role playing. Um, some of them were already doing it, I'm sure. But, you know, we'll, we'll try that. And we went into this. And, and, and actually, the game before that, too, really. The last group was super great. It was wonderful, and I, I did not think, even the, the first group, it was so funny. No one really achieved immersion, I don't think, until towards the end. Yeah. And then I think everybody achieved immersion. I think that when you're that, you can achieve that level. You can get a great level of immersion. But my goodness, um, you, you've had people, you've had the hearer stand up in the back of your head, and you turn around and you see him. Well, that's because you're there, feeling that in person and being there in person, and then all sitting around and talking about it afterwards. There, it's just beautiful. It, it's, it, it is fellowship. You know, yeah, uh, and, I, and I really love that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, for, and for those of you listening that, you know, maybe you're still stuck playing virtually for whatever reason, or, or I know my situation personally is whenever somebody's sick, which is often because a lot of us have young children who are in like daycare and stuff and daycare kids always bring, they're like a Petri dish and they're always sick <laughs> every single time. So anyway, <laughs> long story short, oftentimes my game that's supposed to be in person, I want to say one third of the time ends up being remote. And something that I found that it doesn't replicate it perfectly, but if you can find a way to have positional audio on whatever platform you're using, Discord doesn't do it. So sorry if you use Discord, but there's, you know, maybe I'll try to look up some things and add in the show notes later if I have time. But what positional audio does is you have like a a fake map on the screen and you've got your little icon and you can move your icon closer to another person's icon. And then that person's voice becomes louder to you. Oh, oh wow. So what we do is we do that. We have our little virtual table and we sit all of our, like, instead of having a battle map out, we have a, we have a fake battle map of a table with us sitting around it. And then, <laughs> and then when that's fucking amazing <laughs> and we talk and whoever I'm sitting beside, 
I can have crosstalk with that person without interrupting the game master. That's so, beautiful. Yeah, it's freaking great. So I, I would encourage folks to try to find stuff like that. I, I'm sure there's all kinds of apps that exist. Uh, the, the name of the one that we use, I forget. So I'm going to try to remember it and add it to the show notes. But um, that's one mitigation that I found that, you know, it's not it's not perfect, but it helps. Finding, finding uh, like, like you're talking about, finding tools that work mm-hmm. for you. Like it doesn't matter what the most popular thing is out there. Find something that you can work with that works for your crew yeah. that you all feel comfortable with and run with it however you're going to run with it. Sh- I was yeah, going to ask sure. you something. Um, I don't know if I if I could throw one more little piece of advice for uh, um, players. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> well, I will say this is something fun. Uh, this is immersion. So one of the things that we do in our game is we say, hey, don't bring in Taco Bell. Don't, don't bring in what was on TV last night. Here's what you can do instead. If you can find a way to work that in, so that we don't know, we might know what you're talking about, but it fits in our it, world. He means talk about, like you can eat Taco Bell. That's fine. yes, yes, yes. But but <laughs> okay, if, you're going to, okay. if you're going to start making jokes and stuff, make sure it fits the world you're in. And if you happen to somehow put Justin Bieber in there somewhere as a as a bard, but you have to explain it in a certain way, and half of us start dying laughing, and they laugh like, "What the hell is he talking about?" That's great. Uh, but what we what we always tell people is like, "Hey, try to keep the real world stuff out of this because that's what we're trying to escape right now." But if you feel like, hey, this would have been a funny moment. So sometimes the players play a little game with us and with me, and they'll just fit in something that's really hilarious, but it fits the world. So I just just one more little fun thing that we did for immersion. So That's awesome. You know, that reminds me of a story of, I, I'm, I mean, I've probably told this on the show before, but um, in my pirate campaign that I run, we the, the players ran across a chef, and they named him... Uh, Rordon Gamzee. And <laughs> Rordon is my favorite NPC in the world because he's exactly Gordon Ramsay. Like, 100%. He is that person. And, like, the Hell's Kitchen one where he's, like, yes. swearing all the time and he's angry all the time. You donut! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's just, that's just purely my my players wanting to have like this meme character on the, in the yes. game. And I love them for it, you know, and they've done this before. <laughs> they've done it again with other characters, but none of yeah. them have, have been as good as Rordon. And he is just this opportunity for them, like a pressure release valve for them to just let out jokes in the game, you know, like yeah, without, exactly. without totally, completely diverting the immersion to something else yes and i mean it happens anyway but (laughs) he did the same thing with someone he created a dwarf that ran an obstacle course and the dwarf's exact personality was steve austin from the skullbreaker challenge like we used i used to love that show i'd watch it all the time and he made this dwarf exactly like him. And I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna go out of my way to visit this guy because I love this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's fun. To, it's good to have those, those like, in-game, in the immersion pressure yes. release valve. For sure. That's a, great, that's a great bit of advice. For sure. So before we get to the end of the show, I want to remind listeners a little bit about some of the things that I took away. So just to remind them of the definition we gave for for immersion, what we said was it was, I, I like I liked how Keith said it. It's taking it's a taking a vacation for the mind. It's yes. really transporting yourself into another place via the engagement, you know, the via the complete engagement of the people at the table. And some of the ways that we enjoy doing this is by having character voices and character personalities that we can really embody. We talked a little bit about using imagery, using actual physical images to help visualize the places that you're in. We talked a little bit about using adjectives to define our characters, personality traits, and goals. And those things will help push our characters forward in a specific direction and kind of be the barometer or the the compass i suppose for the direction that they take when they when they're confronted with problems we also talked about um being yourself enjoying yourself and enjoying kind of and just just be who you are express yourself the way you need to express yourself to feel comfortable and that'll make it easier to immerse yourself because sometimes it's hard to do that 
on a character who's a little bit too intricate or complicated or different from you, and you might have the energy to, to, to be that person all the time. Something that we talked about that I thought was really, really insightful was having these uh, pressure release valves. So trying to have opportunities to make jokes without removing yourself from the game environment. So things like what Keith said, his house rule of making sure that you don't, you know, you don't talk about the Justin Bieber's drama, but you make a, you, you make a bard appear whose name is, 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 you know, close to that or whatever. So having, having these moments can be a lot of fun. And then we talked a little bit about the virtual tabletops and, and how they're not exactly the same, but they present some interesting tools that you can use. And if you, if you embrace them and you have the right table, you can still have a good time and still be immersed. So with that, I'll, I'll pass the microphone back over to the two of you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about with regards to immersion that you feel like you, you need to say that, uh, you, that we didn't touch and, and you want to make sure it gets across? It's okay uh, if the, the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, the, the only thing I would yes. say at the very end is just if you are also doing immersion and you feel uncomfortable, or you find that the, uh, again, you find the table that you're at is not a comfortable table for you. Realize there's thousands of games out there and it can be hard sometimes to find one. Just just go. Uh, I, I always tell people, don't stay in a game that is harmful. You're there to, even if I'm the DM, if I'm DMing in such a way that kind of like, it, for you personally, it does not give you what you need. It's okay to say, I don't, I, you don't have to tell me you don't like it, you can just quit. But uh <laughs> You can you if you don't like the game, it's okay to say you know I don't like this. I I wanna I wanna go somewhere else. That's fine. Find the game and the group that's for you. Um, I see a lot of people who I see complain and complain and complain either about their players or their DMs. That's both your faults. Okay. Uh, now don't get me wrong. If you're a jerk, that's your fault. But I'm just saying if you're at a good table and you're just staying there because you kind of want to be there, find find a table that you find a table that fits you. And same with the DM. Find players that fit you. Um, some people say that's a negative. I'm not trying to be negative with this. I want it to be a positive. And I just, I've seen people put themselves in a position where it's so stressful. And I just, I don't want people to do that. You're here to have fun. If your DM's not making you have fun, find, find a place you'll have fun. The but. takeaway is communication is key for immersion. Yes. Way around, so. <laughs> I don't want it to be Absolutely. negative. I just, I've always felt really bad for people because they would come to me and be like, oh, I'm really having a bad time and this guy's running this game like this. And I'm like, okay, it's cool. Here, do this. So. Awesome. awesome. I, I agree 100%. It, communication is key for a lot of things. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and, and so with that, I think that wraps a nice bow on on immersion. I hope the people listening at home thought found it as insightful as I did. Uh, if Jess and Keith, if folks listening at home wanted to find your content, find your supplements, subscribe to your Patreon and all of that great stuff. How do they do that? Where do they find your stuff? And, and why don't you remind us of some of the great projects that you have going on right now? Uh, well, we recently released a creature companion system. That was our fastest selling supplement uh, in two weeks. It went silver, which since most wow. of our stuff is done through subscriptions, that's in pure sales is a pretty big deal for us, um, which will be expanded soon, but it provides a way for, any class to be able to have a creature companion basically mechanically and how that works and pretty proud of that supplement oh, that's our most recent thing sensible lore behind yes um and uh we have this week a book of it's called the book of high seas treasures coming out and uh it has nautical themed archetypes and a new lineage and uh some additional creature familiars and some artifacts so that will be a really cool thing um, nice. You can find all of our links on undergroundoracle.com. Um, we're on Twitter at UO Publishing. If you follow us there, you can also find everything. Um, we're on Patreon as Underground Oracle. So it's we're pretty easy to track down. Um, we also have a Discord server, um, which you can also find a link through through either Twitter or on our website, undergroundoracle.com. But um, it's a rad community. It's full of really amazing, supportive people. Super positive place to hang out. Very, very um and uh, everybody is one of those type of people like, hey, man, I'm having a bad day. They can cheer you up. Yeah, the, you the whole community there is just magnificent. Uh, it's also where I spend 99% of my time. So if you desperately need more just in your life, I'm on the Discord. <laughs> but um, yeah, our subscriptions are super cheap. They're $3 a month, and that's 
a minimum of two supplements a month with that. So subscribe to us. You save money and get great D and D. You can also look forward to. Uh, we're working currently on a Kickstarter. Yes, our first crowdfunding project. So cool. And a character sheet that will help you with all the things we talked about today. Yeah. So we'd like to. We like. We have a character sheet we use for our own people, but we would like to get that out for yes. everyone also. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that sounds really cool. I and and yeah, I have to. I have to second everything. You mentioned the the Discord server is super positive and super great, and everybody there is a plus. And all of the content that that the two of you make, you know, listeners, you deserve you deserve it. Go check it out. You, you really <laughs> should, especially if you want a little bit of that extra lore, a little bit of help to immerse yourself yes. in spaces that have been created by these two uh, fantastic minds that are here with me today. So please oh, go check you. it out. And we have we have. Free stuff on our website too. So if you just if you want to taste, see what we're all about, you can go to you can go to the website and it's there. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from two from two people that grew up and didn't have money to buy stuff a lot, we said from the very beginning we were always going to have something free, always every month. Cool. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So it'll, I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes. So for those of you listening, you know, I'll have at the very least like the website and and uh, the twitter page on there and and if i can find some other stuff or if jess and keith you want to send that to me i'll make sure it's in there um so yeah so thank you very much for joining me this was a wonderful conversation i'm i'm so pleased that we got to make this happen thank uh, you for having us it thank you awesome. and also for the ideas uh that you shared with us too because yeah. those are some ideas i'll be adding to my game so thank you yeah, well, yeah, and and you you made me incredibly d- want to play in a game with you as my game master, Keith. So <laughs> we'll have to make that happen one of these days. I, I'll tell you right now, I disappoint fifty percent of the people that play with me for sure. <laughs> He's a liar. He's sparing your feelings. It's a magical experience. <laughs> half the people love me, the other half are like, "I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, time will tell, I suppose. But yes, well, so thank you again. Uh, and listeners, if you needed to reach out to me for whatever reason, you can always do that. You can contact me on Twitter. That's at role underscore play underscore chat. If you wanted to send me an email where you are not subject to a character limit, you can do that too. That's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. And, uh, and with that, I will, I will leave the, everybody uh, have, have a wonderful day. Hope you have immersive games and let's call it a chat. Bye. Thank you.